Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes, that is right. Will Schofield, Mark Reddings, coming to you from the Shelter Footy cast, uh, Backchat Studios, and I sound like I might have had a big weekend, Skeeter. How are you, mate? Hello, Scoey. Good to be here. And yeah, you remind me a little bit of uh, William H. Macy from Shameless, the character who uh, had a, a bit of a, a time staying sober over uh, a long period of time. But yours is a short, sharp, what, Saturday, Sunday sort of double-headed. But no, I did the... I had a, Decent weekend myself, culminating in the Super Bowl today. But, of course, we both did the UFC. We both had uh, a bit of sport and a bit of music on the agenda. Uh, so this is a bit of a later recording for us. And first time we've done this, we're double Zencastering. So I'm in the Backchat studio. Skeeter is at his beautiful mansion, wherever he lives, uh, sitting uh, at home. And we're going to come to you uh, with a bit of technology. So it's amazing that Mark's here, actually. But luckily, uh, both his daughters were on hand to help. A bit of a <laughs> shout-out to Georgia, especially. Uh, you can follow <laughs> us on socials. Remember, Shelter Footycast on Instagram. Send us an email, footycast at shelterbrewing.com.au. Just a reminder that this uh, Shelter Footycast will be on its own feed today. So you'll be listening, no doubt, on the Backchat feed right now. If you go onto wherever you listen to your podcast, you search Shelter Footycast. Uh, just click on that, subscribe to that. It'll be posted on Backchat and the Shelter Footycast feed for the next month or so, so we don't miss anyone out. But it's just a reminder that there will come a time where it's no longer posted here on Backchat. And yes, Skeet, I do realise that's go, gone straight over your head, mate, but I'm going to keep reminding people so we don't miss it. Is that all right with you? Yeah, I've got no idea what you're talking about, so let's just push on. And uh, do we start with the biggest event today, which was the Super Bowl. You and I both watched it. I backed the wrong horse in Philadelphia. They led for most of the game, <laughs> but a bloke called Patrick Mahomes just got the job done when uh, class was required. Uh, he was just too good. Yeah, he was, mate. And um, you backed the wrong horse. I backed the right horse. A little bit of a shout-out to Backchat. We jumped on with our Blue Bet Multi for the first one of the year, and we bloody got it up. Skeeter, $5.50, Mahomes MVP, into Travis Kelsey scoring a touchdown, into over points, into the win from Kansas City, and we got it up, Skeeter. So it was bloody good to watch. Um, I, I will go into a little bit uh, why you know, we both watched the Super Bowl, which is great, but I was at... Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers last night, which is why my voice sounds like this. And before that, 
it was a UFC. So that's what I did this weekend, Skeeter. Um, I'll come back to the UFC because this is a sport podcast and um, I'll just tease it with it. It was the most incredible sporting event I've ever been to, Skeeter. Okay, so I'll wow. you a little bit more about that. Yep, absolutely. Um, but Red Hot Chili Peppers were in fine form last night as well, supported by Post Malone. I was just going to wonder if you know any Post Malone songs, Skeeter. No, but I do know that the great man struggled to get into a rooftop bar last night in the city because of his tattoos. So uh, he might be popular in some parts, but obviously security guards at the QT building had no idea who the hell he was. Just back on the Super Bowl, uh, Aaron Sipos, uh, who, of course, uh, is an Australian. who was playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a punter. He was on St Kilda's list back in the day. He had his first punt went for 57 yards, which is a really good punt for a punter. But he had a moment I think he'll probably like to forget in the last quarter. Uh, he was punting, uh, didn't go the far, went about 35 yards, and then it was the longest return from a punt in Super Bowl history off one of his punt skates. So unfortunately for the young Australian, uh, they went on to lose the game as well. Yeah, and I guess when you look at what a punter does during the course of a game, there are little moments, and they're only involved, as you know, sparingly in some cases. You're right, 57 yards to get his uh, Super Bowl off and running was outstanding. But I look back and look, I must admit, I was sitting at the shoe, so I didn't have a, a close eye on what type of punt he went for. Sometimes, of course, they now use the drop punt, um, these kickers from Australia. Did he go for the drop punt or was it the, the torpedo? I, I found it hard to pick up. Either way, it's very shallow. And look, the, the chases weren't all that effective either, but I suppose a lot of people zeroing in on Sipos not able to, to get some more, more height and some more yardage on that kick. Yeah, that's right. There were some other big things that happened during the week that we haven't had a chance to speak about, Skeeter. The cricket, uh, the one that we've all been waiting for, Australia v India, um, and it was an absolute stinker. I've heard embarrassment thrown around. I mean, you're probably more the cricketing man than I am. Talk me through it. What happened? Look, let me just preface this by saying that some very good Australian teams have gone over to India and struggled big time. So this won't be the first or last time. The conditions are so foreign to many of the Australians, particularly facing spin on a deck that turned. But we don't have too many excuses because we won the toss, we batted first, we didn't make enough in the first innings, 177. And of course, India, Rohit Sharma was outstanding up against a bowling attack spin-wise that was inexperienced apart from Nathan Lyon. And Lyon was largely ineffective compared to Todd Murphy, who picked up seven for on debut, which is terrific. I remind you of Jason Crazier, who had a really good breakout test match in India. But we didn't score enough. We didn't bowl well enough. And our second innings of 91, yeah, there's there's lots of reasons behind it. And I guess the, the curious thing from my point of view is that they've now seconded Matthew Coonan, who's a, a off-spinner from Queensland, to go across and join the test squad which makes you wonder after one test, they left Travis Head out and there's speculation he might come in and take David Warner's spot in the next test match. Of course, David is averaging something like 20 in India. So there's pressure on him. In fact, none of the batters apart from Labashane and Smith look anywhere near comfortable against the spin. So there's going to be some changes. Cam Green, if he's fit, comes into the mix. So too Mitch Stark. But more so than that, Scully, I think it's the, the, the mental disintegration, the, the collapse in that second innings. And what that's going to do with the short turnaround heading into the second test is my concern for Australia is that whether we can compete moving forward. And uh, don't make this, uh, don't put this beyond the Australians to go down three or four nil because uh, that is the difference on those pitches from what I saw over there in Nagpur. There was some, there was a lot of talk about the omission of Travis Head, who 
um, is the highest ranked batter in the world at the moment. You come off averaging whatever he averaged in the Ashes series here. Uh, sorry, not Ashes, but the um, you know series over over summer. Uh, like, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you leave the best batter out, no matter what he's averaging. If he's in form, he's in form, isn't he? I mean, if you're going to be leaving people out because of how they bat on certain wickets, you'd be making more changes than they ever do. So that, that had me scratching my head just from a – a team mentality point of view. You imagine um, playing the best cricket in your life or, um, you know, doing the best thing you've ever done in your job at the highest level, you can't do it any better and then you still get dropped. I'm not a fan of that in any, in any way. I I don't care where they're playing. They could be playing down at um, Manjimup Swamp for all I care. It's a shocking look, I reckon. And, And, I don't know if the coach has got a, a real hiding over it because of the way Australia batted. Like, oh, you know, Travis Head wouldn't have made much of a difference. Well, I just think it speaks to the mentality more than anything else. Didn't like it at all, Skeeter. As you can hear, I'm not happy about it, mate. But that's okay. We're going to move on from cricket. Todd Murphy, seven for 124 as well, as you mentioned, which was un- outstanding. Now, Skeeter, the UFC. I sort of touched on it on Thursday. Told you I was going to the event uh, over the weekend. Did you say you were a fan? You're not really a fan of it, are you? No, I'm a bit like you with cricket. Uh, you're sort of, you tiptoe around it. And in fact, you know more about cricket than I know about UFC, to be honest. And I went there with a bit of an open mind just to see what it was like and the atmosphere and the fighters. And I sat next to a young bloke that knew a fair bit about the rules, which, um, let's be honest, a lot of people not to fay with the nuances of, of UFC and, and the fighting. And um, it was educational. I, I did enjoy it. What I did notice, I thought the, the atmosphere in RAC Arena you say you go to a Wildcats game, it made it look like we we're at church when you go to watch the Wildcats. It was buzzing. It was electric. And, and for the main bout, um, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky came out with, you know, men at work. It was it was electric. It was amazing to sit there and just take it in. And look, you're going to have critics as to whether it is a legitimate sport, whether it's brutal, whether it's, you know, endangers people's health, et cetera, whatever you want. As a spectacle, I was pleasantly surprised. It, it, was, a, it was a great few hours. Yeah, well, look... Uh, I've got a few points to make. So um, I don't think there's any other sport in the world, now you can correct me on this, Skeeter, where you could get a captivated audience, an engaged audience like we saw at RAC Arena for eight hours. I was there at, at 6.30 a.m. It was it was half full then, and then within an hour it was capacity at 7.30 in the morning. The last fight was at 1 o'clock or 1.00. Th- no, like, I didn't walk out till 2.30. So is there any other sport, cricket maybe, right? I just see everyone in their seats. At at stages, there was silence through the crowd, and it was a pretty rowdy crowd, Skeeter. But <laughs> if if at stages there was complete silence of just how intense people were watching it, and then there was moments of just absolute debauchery in the crowd when uh, you know Alex Volkanovski in the last thirty seconds, it's in a title fight, and he's on top of his opponent. The people next to me and around me. I'd never seen that sort of passion before. Like people at the footy, they get excited and they love their teams and they you know have big moments. But people were screaming for, for blood, like bloodlust, for, <laughs> yeah, for like two hours. It was like, and the crowd, of course, that six blokes in front of us started shouting out, "Islam's a wanker." And I thought, this, you know, look at these knuckleheads. Within 30 seconds, 15,000 people, and you would have heard it. They started chanting this, you know, like the old days, Hadley's. They were, they were engaged. I agree with it. It was 
it was extraordinary to see that the passion they had. And, and I'd just like your opinion, because before I want to talk about Jack Della Maddalena and what he did, the young bloke who went to Aquinas College and 26 years of age and what a story his was to, to, to win inside one round. I thought that the Russian Islam deserved to win. I thought he won more rounds than Volkanovsky. There's been plenty of debate on Twitter about that. You're the expert. Tell me, was it a, a close decision or do you think the visitor got the job done? Um, I think the crowd and the atmosphere swayed me towards Alex, Alexander Volkanovsky, but uh, I, I think I've spoken to people that know it even better than me and, and said that Islam probably won the fight. And that's where it is an interesting sport where there's a lot of technicalities and, and you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that people go about it and the way they score points. And it probably was an Islam fight, but uh, Alex Volkanovsky has called for a rematch. So I know people don't tune into this to hear about the uh, breakdown of UFC, but I just wanted to speak about that as as a sporting moment. And um, I was lucky enough to spend quite a lot of time working on it during the week with Fox Sports and KO and met a lot of uh, the UFC corporate side from over in London. And they said uh, they they will be back in Perth before uh, 12 months. They will be back in the next 12 months. Already confirmed. Maybe not released publicly, but you've heard it here now on the uh, Shelter Footy Car Skeeter. Yeah, and listen, I sat with a guy who had a lot to do with bringing the event to Perth and just, just some numbers. I don't think these are secret, but 15,000 there on Sunday, 9,000 of whom had come from interstate. That's a massive proportion of the crowd there. There were $6 million in ticket sales. Uh, apparently, if the same event was held in Nevada with the same crowd, etc., they'd make $10 million. The reason being, I'm told, that the Americans have a, almost a bidding system for, for seats. So if you want to pay more than the $5,000, which were the front row seats at RAC Arena, you could pay $10,000. So hence, it's a more profitable way of UFC making money. But the dollars were huge. The audience in excess of $200 million. Um, I'm not sure if this is even debatable now, but surely UFC has overtaken boxing in terms of a, a worldwide yeah. sport. Oh, absolutely. And it's the fastest growing sport in the world or across a lot of metrics. And probably Basil Zemplis and the West Australian government, um, you know, alongside him would be looking at it and what a spectacle for Perth. I, I think overall getting events like that and then into, into Red Hot Chili Peppers and Post Malone and, you know, you're at Sting and there's been events, events, events and um, liking what Perth and the WA community are doing with their events at the moment. So very positive. Let's move into the AFL Skeeter. Um the Fremantle Dockers, a little bit going on down there, of course, last week. Nat Five steps down as the captain, and we went through that last week. Um, over the weekend, I've seen a couple of interviews he's done. He, I think he sat down with Ben Cameron, which was a really insightful chat at the ABC. Also saw, saw something with Mark Duffield on, on Code Sports, um, speaking about the real mental anguish. And, and um, you know, I, I got a little bit out of that with him when I, I spoke to him, but you know, sort of speaking about, you know, um, depression, he used the word depression and anxiety and um, being in a real low place with not only the captaincy, but some of the injuries he's had over the past few years. Um, I think he's always been this open, but it's been <clears throat> pretty cool over the last week to see some real insight into one of the best players that the AFL's got. Yeah, and it begs the question, once he finishes his career, what he wants to do. We know he's very well spoken, he's articulate, he's intelligent. Uh, the media career is there for, his, for, for the taking. I suppose to counter that is if he's a player who's won two Brownlow medals, has gone through those bouts of depression or, or you know low times in his life, well, what does it say then for, for all those other footballers? And you probably could, could answer this really well. The setbacks, unable to break into the side, uh, people questioning whether you have the desire or whether you, you're good enough to, to make that level. And yet Nat Fife, one of the best we've seen in WA, 
uh, again, the fact that mental health doesn't revolve around whether you're getting a kick on a weekend, but it, it, I found that really fascinating that he has admitted openly that that he struggled with those those moments. And you would have thought, given his ability to, to overcome injuries and, and perform at the highest level, that um, that would be an area that he wouldn't be affected by. Yeah, I think um, I think performing at the highest level is is what you know brings the mental stress on. Though, to be honest, um, whether it's football now, now football is a public industry, and that that's what makes these points you know talking points. But the exciting thing, and or maybe not exciting, but <clears throat> excuse me, the you know positive thing about it being public is these conversations get had because I really don't think playing football is anything different to being in the media or to being an accountant or, or being a father or being a mother. And it's not just men, it's, it's everybody. And the fact that it's public means the conversations get had, but it doesn't differentiate whether you're a bad player, you're a local footballer, you're a state footballer, you're the best player in the league. Things get hard sometimes. So, um, you know, I look at a really positive positive way that he's able to speak about it and, you know, potentially these conversations like you and I are having or, you know, articles that get read get you know, helps people understand that, um, you know, people go through hard things in life and it's not just footy players, but, um, you know, being able to talk about it and, and being able to speak to people about how you're feeling and when it does get tough, reach out to people or whatever helps you get through things. Uh, mate, you can speak to it as well. I, I really don't think it's a football only thing, but it, the public nature, you know, gives it that voice, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've summed it up pretty well, this guy. One, it's not really a, a huge issue in, in footy, but maybe it is for the WA clubs. And they're going to charter flights to go across and, and play on the East Coast. Uh, and fans can go along. West Coast, Fremantle, we believe. Certainly West Coast are, are jumping right on board that. And Paul Ramsey, the team at Travel and Sport, are, I think are going to be involved with that. But how much of a difference will it make not to have to catch the commercial flight at the times they want? Just from a recovery point of view, is it a, a 1% or is it just a an interesting talking point. Did it ever bother you having to, to catch a later flight or an earlier flight? Does it make a difference to the team's preparation? I think some of these things, when you don't know what the other side looks like, it's hard to tell, right? Like it was always like, well, imagine if we didn't have to travel every second week. But because we never did that, we just never knew any better. So in terms of the plane and plane times, well, they've never really been able to choose when they fly. So I don't know how much they'll change. I mean... We would always fly out sort of mid-morning, um, two days out from the game. That won't change. They, they, they won't be, you know, you can't leave any later because you get in too late into interstate and you wouldn't want to leave any earlier because then you're stuffing around in the morning. So they'll still be leaving exactly the same time. Um, getting out of games, I mean, it was always West Coast policy to get out as soon as they could. And, and realistically, I can't remember too many times I'm sitting around the airport for any longer than... 45 minutes to an hour waiting for a flight. It's a good time to debrief. And the coaches always used to get on the, the clip. So they're still going to have to fly. Um, mm. uh, you know, um, I was speaking to someone the other day about, you know, the public interaction on planes. Quite honestly, there's such a big party of West Coast people that travel. There's the 23 players that travel. There's another, oh, you know, 15 coaches minimum and then support staff. There's there's usually a travelling party of 50 to 60 people. So if you think about that on a plane, um, you're going back 10 to 15 rows just West Coast. So you very really have very much interaction with the public on the planes anyway. So to answer your question, a long-winded answer, I think it will have little to no difference to what each team does on a travel sense.
Jeez, I'm glad I brought that up, Scully. Um, but no, it's just interesting because pe- people are always talking about the, the travel and whether, it, whether it's detrimental or how difficult it is. One question is how long before Jack Darling can travel? Because yeah. if it's a syndesmosis injury with him and we, we've seen the vision of him at training and uh, a lot of Eagle supporters are now thinking, well, is this just the start of another year of, of setbacks? And Jack's obviously with Josh Kennedy's retirement. He becomes so important to that structure of the forward line. So important to the structure of the forward line. Like he, um, without a Jack Darling, um, you know, not saying that the best plum defender won't already be going to Oscar Allen, but, you know, certainly with no Darling, they 100% will be. And it, it, it just leaves less avenues to go for the West Coast Eagles. Now, they'll have a young guy step up and, and jump in his place if, in fact, it is a syndesmosis, which, you know, syndesmosis injuries are not, you know, hitting the panic alarm, but, but they can last, you know, they can be, season ones depending on how bad it is syndesmosis isn't a good injury to do so um you know fingers crossed for jack because viral ports he's had a really good pre-season been really positive around the footy club and you know great to see him back up up and firing again after a bit of a you know rough start to the year last year without him west coast are certainly like it's he is a massive massive uh cog in what they'll be trying to do this year and, and i don't know how he gets replaced to be honest skate yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's a question because North Melbourne, first up away, and obviously the, the season, as we know, next week starts to really crank up with some of those match sims or practice matches with Port Adelaide and Adelaide coming to town for that that one-week period. So as a footballer, and you, I mean, it's not saying anything new, but you must absolutely just crave for the moment where you stop training pre-season and you get into some some sort of match play against opposition other than your teammates to, to get a, even just a slight beat as to how you're tracking. Yeah, I... Honestly, like Friday just gone would have been probably uh, – most clubs would do it. They have like a – they almost have a meeting and say, right, pre-season over, now we're in in-season program. I think Friday was the last day of pre-season. So to do an injury on that day for Jack, like he would just be spewing as a player, you know, terrible. And, yes, you're right, you can't wait to play against other players. You can't wait to do – you know, not be training on the same – or at least I used to anyway because I used to have to run around behind Josh Kennedy the entire time. So that was never a fun appointment. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, let's just hope that for West Coast point of view, um, Jack Darling gets up and about. Now, back on Fremantle, they've had a couple of things go on. The SSP period is mm. still – uh, happening right now. So we've seen some sides add to their list. I'll have that a little later on in the show, but a couple of potential guys they've got for Frio, Sam Stubbs and Liam Sarong. You got any word on how they've been going or who might have the running there? Well, not so much who's got the running, but Sam Stubbs kicked a couple of goals in some, again, Matt Sim and playing forward. And I've, look, I've seen him. I haven't seen Liam at all. So all I can point to is that playing for Perth, he looks like a talent. Whether Fremantle are going to pull the trigger um, this early in the season with that that selection or whether they might wait to the mid-season draft, I guess is the, the point of conjecture. Uh, but, yeah, Stubbs has got some some form with Perth and, you know, from a, a local perspective, hopefully he, he gets an opportunity. Liam, not so, not so sure about it. He's obviously got some got some height on his side that his brother, Caleb, doesn't. Um, and that's a, a fantastic story with at least Caleb and his, his brother, uh, three brothers now, having entered the AFL system, which is uh, getting close to a rarity. Between them... I, Fremantle haven't been too publicly committed, have they, to saying, look, we're going to uh, jump in and definitely take one of these players. So I, I think it's very line ball as to whether they will uh, go down that path, Scoey, before the season starts. I might be proven wrong. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, the last one I wanted to cover at Fremantle was the AFLW. Fremantle, uh, they lost Trent Cooper at the end of last year. They've made an appointment. Lisa Webb steps in as the new coach. Yeah, I think player power's come to the party there. A uh, lot of talk that if she wasn't appointed, there'd be an exodus of sorts, which is interesting given what we've been talking about with <laughs> the Australian is. cricket team. Um, but she's popular. She's done a coaching time. She's obviously been a player at the club. So it's a popular appointment, I guess, for logistics from her point of view is that she was coaching over in Melbourne at the Bulldogs in the AFLW system. Her husband, Mark, of course, a premiership star with Subiaco, currently the mids coach at the Western Bulldogs men, um, how that plays out. I think she's a three-year appointment. Um, I guess there's a bit of uncertainty about the AFLW season. Most think it'll start in August again. And Fremantle, again, the hard part about WA is, and I've spoken to Trent Cooper about this, is trying to recruit players here because you can't obviously offer them uh, the big money that the AFL players get at this point, uh, you've almost have to provide a job as well. So to try and build their list further uh, is going to be tricky for them. And the Eagles have, have, have seen that uh, unless you've got some homegrown talent coming through, it's a bit of a grind. But Lisa, I think, very popular with the players. And uh, from their perspective, I'm hoping it works because she's got a um, got a task now to build this side up after what was a, a tricky year or so for, for Coops. I think he was a bit unlucky given the results he had. But... Um, you know, whether he had the best relationship with a couple of people in the club, uh, maybe that was a defining feature in the parting of the ways. Um, Daniel, I'm just telling you I've had a uh, a free disk space to save local backup data error on my computer, so I'm hoping we don't lose this recording. But we're going to continue on. We've got Dan Cons watching on his safe eyes, and he gives me that up, thumbs up, Skeet, so we're going to keep going. We're almost done, I think, anyway. Wildcats, are we still in the finals? What's happening? Go- gone, Scoey, G-A-W-N. As I said to you, they weren't going to, <laughs> they weren't going to win it this year. They just... Defensively, no good. Rebounding, no good again against Cairns yesterday. Um, and Cairns were missing a couple of their absolute guns. So, um, look, they made the – is it called the Plains now? So, someone's saying they didn't actually make the playoffs again this year, which would have made it two in a row. And, of course, Hutchie, if they'd lost that game against Sydney uh, a week or so ago, would have been run out of town. But, oh, yeah, yeah, disappointing. There's a bit of work for them to do. Bryce Cotton, outstanding again. But he needs a better support cast. Other players had their moments. Uh, Webster, Corey Webster at times – Manic, again, intermittently, but I think when you're giving up as many points as the Cats have done this season, they're always going to be up against it to, to go deep into the playoffs. And you'd have to say, if you're talking long-term for this season, next two or three weeks, the Sydney Kings, who absolutely just dined out on the, the Wildcats being eliminated, they would be a very short price favourites to get into the grand final after their semi-final, and then uh, go back-to-back. So, yeah, Wildcats, uh, a bit of work to do because uh, their standing is is the best NBL franchise is still there, but uh, their standards have slipped. That's just a given, what we've seen with the results. Yes, fair enough. The glory, we've been speaking about them a little bit as well. Macedonia Park, they've had their first loss, unfortunately. They go down 4-2 to Melbourne City on the weekend, Skater. Yeah, and uh, look, Melbourne City's a a great side. Top of the table, yeah. One moment that I thought, and I wasn't there, that uh, there was a penalty given to the glory. And uh, they're about to take the spot kick. And the referee comes up and has given this one. And the VAR had overturned the penalty. So it's a real frustration. Tony oh, Sage wow. and, and all those uh, devotees were spitting chips, I'm sure. Um, but when you get beaten 4-2, look, you, you probably, again, have to look defensively at what you did. Adam Taggart came on late. But, um, yeah, look, to be fair... As you know, Scoey, in, in any sport, to try and keep 
unbeaten runs going, and albeit there are a few draws in there. But, uh, you know, you're going to have a, a slip up, and it happened against uh, one of the, the championship uh, sides of, of this season, no question. Now, I just want to have a run back into the AFL scheme because there has been some SSP signings. So these are additional players that have been added to the list in a part of this period of time, which is quite new in the AFL. I think it's a good policy. I think it's a good system to have to, you know, fix any list spots that you might have lost over the preseason or it's not quite working out. And it also gives a bit of a second chance. And I think you'll know a lot of these names. So Adelaide pick up Tyler Brown, I believe, of Collingwood. You're nodding your head. Yes. Yep. Uh, Mark Keane, who – where's he from? I, I know his name, but maybe not. Brisbane pick up Dara Joyce, who was at St Kilda. Connor McKenna, yes, and Connor McKenna mm. goes to Brisbane, which uh, it's good to see him back. I mean, he was a really good player when he was playing for Essendon. Um, yeah, half back. Yeah, he was, he yeah. was going to run. And interestingly, he's gone to you know another club, which uh, is – fascinating in itself. So, yeah, well, you're right. It's, it, to give these players, you know, whether they've had a year out of the game or they, they were struggling in the environment they're at, uh, that, that opportunity, that's, I guess that's the beauty of, and there's been debate sparked by Paddy Dangerfield about having a mid-season trade. Now, I'm not sure if you, you're across what he said. I think he was just trying to maybe open up a, a similar scenario to what happens in the NBA and, and whether that could be possible in AFL circles. And look, there's, there's two lines of thought. One is the mid-season draft, you know, which effectively takes players out of the waffle and the SANFL, uh, that, that's in place. That gives players the opportunity to, to be picked up, but Danger's more talking about the trading of players mid-season. Now, I'm not sure if you've given it much thought, not sure if you care, but those it just feels like there's an ever-growing push for us as a, a footy um, business to follow the lead of, of what's happening in the U.S., Oh, look, mate, uh, I, I, I probably agree with Danger. I, you know, do I want it or not want it? I, I don't it, I don't have any strong feelings either way, but it will happen because, as you said, we follow the way of the US. It's what happens over there. And, you know, now Danger's saying it, and usually what what he says goes in these situations. So uh, I think we'll probably say that in a pretty short period of time. I mean, given what happens with contracts anyway, some, some of these things aren't worth the paper that it's written on anyway. So, you know, whether you're getting traded at the end of the year or middle of the year, or maybe it becomes more interesting. Maybe maybe it means teams can make a move in the middle of the year that really changes their season up. You know, m- maybe it does get the AFL closer to making sure every team uh, has a chance of winning that premiership. Maybe it does the opposite though. Maybe you know, mm. if um if you're a good player, your team's just gone through a twelve months of shit, and then the first twelve weeks of the year you you don't win a game. You're not going to want to stay there for very long, are you? So that that would be the risk, I would say. And, you know, Dan would know a little bit more than probably both you and I do, Skeet, but it's just happened in the NBA. There's been some really big moves happening over there and um, it's really good players going to other teams and stacking them with good players. So I don't think most fans would want to see that. Uh, uh, do you? No, and just on that point, I mean, when Kevin Durant goes from Brooklyn to, to Phoenix, uh, it, that's an example, you know, one of the greats of the game. Uh, and in an, in an AFL sense, it's a bit like, say the Eagles are having a shocking season this year and Geelong's flying, for instance, and they they lose a, a defender, you know, someone says, all right, hats on, why don't we go and ask McGovern, Jeremy, whether he's, he'd like yeah. to, you know, finish off the season, play another year, I don't know. Those, you're right, where the strong teams could actually benefit from that as opposed to evening up the competition. So I think there's a lot to work through before the AFL decides to head down that path. 
Oh, I don't know how you fix it either. Um, a couple more names that uh, have changed clubs or have been added to clubs over this period. Oleg Markov goes to Collingwood. Um, he was training at Carlton as a potential replacement mm. of... One day. One Zach, day there. Zach Williams. And it was almost like Collingwood thought, you know what? We're going to grab him before they do. And Collingwood sign him. Um, uh, Gold Coast pick Jed Anderson. Um, North Melbourne, of course. That's... I think he can play some really good footy, Jed Anderson. So I think that's a good pickup by Gold Coast. Uh, North Melbourne have got Liam Shields. Um, so I think that happened um, a little while ago now, but he'll be sort of like a player coach type setup, I'd say. Uh, under, of course, Alistair Clarkson. Uh, St Kilda have picked a couple, one of them being Liam Stocker, if you remember, was involved in that Carlton trade up uh, with Silvani, I, I think. And he was a part of that. And they, they traded up to get him. It didn't quite work out for him at Carlton. So. He's at St Kilda now, and Western Bulldogs pick up Oscar Baker, who was at another club that I can't think of right now. So, Melbourne, yeah, yeah, Melbourne, that's right. So, I mean, there are a lot of guys that had, you know, there'll be second chances at second AFL clubs. I think that's, I think that's doing what it's meant to do. I think that's really good. The last bit of uh, AFL news I got for you, Skeeter, Rory Sloan has stepped down as Adelaide Crows captain, with Jordan Dawson stepping up to be captain now. Correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that his second year at the club or is it his third? Uh, yeah, second or third, obviously, ex-Sydney, correct? Mate, so mate that, that's, that's a that's a, that, Mate, it's a, to come to a club, not being drafted into it, to be there for two or three years, I, I'd love, Dan, if you had a browser with there and you could show me some fingers, if it's Jordan. I reckon it's his second year. Maybe I'm completely wrong here. But. And he kicked, yeah, he kicked a win. I think he kicked the match winner yep. late against Porto. He, he certainly, but you're right, to have that impact around the club after a short period of time, it says something about uh, the character of the bloke. And obviously we don't know much about him, uh, but that's that's an interesting move with Rory stepping down. A little bit similar to, to Nat. He's been in the position for a fair while and he's had some injuries himself, hasn't he? And he's a super player, so maybe... Um, he just wants to concentrate on footy. He's got a young family. And this is his second year. Yeah, that's correct. Wow. Mate, mate that, that's incredible. That is, that, is, that is really incredible. So that's, that speaks volumes of, of his leadership. But I would say less about everyone wants to throw, oh, he must be a good leader. Right? Of course he is. He's a captain. But he must have great ability to connect with people, like to be at a football club for 12 months and then captain the team. Um, Unless I, I'm sure it is Jordan Dawson, right? This isn't uh, this isn't a furphy. Like, this is real, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I saw something on, online saying that Adelaide have got a decision to make, but I thought, well, Scowie's obviously on the ball. He's got this sorted. So we'll just double check that as I uh, look through my my browser myself to make sure that uh, he's captain. If he's not, we can look like complete tools. Wow, that wouldn't be a first on this show before, Skater. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, but mate, I um. Yeah, I, I think I think we will see some trades. I think there's a couple more captaincies to be there's a couple more captains to come out as well. I don't think Geelong's named a captain yet, and Fremantle definitely hasn't. So that's an interesting space to watch over the next couple of weeks as well. But um, that probably finishes as off here. I reckon Skeeter on the Shelter Footycast. We've done a remote session. We've done it very well. I think we've got it right. I think it is Jordan Dawson is the captain of the Footy Club. Yeah, very good. Absolutely. So, well, well done, Jordan. Hats off to you. Mate, um, I'm glad that your voice has handled itself better than mine over the weekend. I'm going to need a little bit of rest before Thursday to cover myself off. What are you giving me biceps for? What are you strong about? <laughs> I'm strong about the outdoor summer sour, which I've sent you the video. I've done the promo. I had one of those before I went to the concert on Saturday. Uh, I had a few Saturday night, and then um, I've just uh, listened to you. Rangy yesterday, both uh, Dan and I touched base to you about 4 o'clock 
and you were uh, you were flying, baby. You were up and about. I'd had a couple of sours. <laughs> I was actually with Michael Thompson's sons. So I was drafted with James. I yep. was with Sam and Dave, and they both said to say a big hello, Skeeter. They were they were as happy seeing uh, Skeeter's number come up on my phone as it would be <laughs> if the Queen had rung me, and she's not with us anymore. God rest her soul. Uh, thank you very much, Skeet. Been a pleasure, mate. Shelter Footycast on Instagram. You go and get a uh, bit, of, bit of kip. After our big Super Bowl morning, mate, if you want to send us an email, footycast at shelterbrewery.com.au, do remember, if you listen to this, wherever you listen to your podcast, go and jump on, subscribe to the Shelter Footycast feed. We'll be with you on Thursday. See you, Skeeter. See you, boys. Have a good one. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.